Shame is one of those scary words that no one wants to talk about, but it's probably the most important thing to talk about when it comes to addiction and alcohol abuse. Shame can be one of the most painful emotions to feel, and it's one that people often drink alcohol in order to avoid. In this episode, our group opens up about their experiences with shame and share how they've worked their way through shame and come out on the other side. Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. If you could use some extra support, don't forget to check out our Facebook group. We're always around to chat about things that are going on in your life. You can find the group by visiting our Facebook page or by going to facebook.com groups slash through the glass recovery. Hello and welcome. I'm so excited about this group that we've got here today. We have Benjamin, who is back for the second time. Thank you so much for returning. Um, do you want to just give us a little bit of an intro? Tell us about yourself. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back on here. My name is Benjamin Lerner. I've been sober and clean since June 13, 2016, but I like to think all I got is one day at a time. I make content music about recovery. I write a weekly recovery column called Clean, and I run a weekly recovery rap radio show on 102.7 WEQX here in beautiful Vermont. And I spotlight mental health, addiction, and recovery through music. And I invite people on to share their stories of experience, strength, and hope. And it's beautiful to be here. Thanks for letting me be a part of the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you back. Mm -hmm. Super excited to have you be a part of this conversation. I think it's going to be a good one. And then we have two newcomers. I love fresh blood. Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) We will start with Sonia. Well, thank you so much for having me. So hello, everybody. My name is Sonia Johnson, and I have been clean since July 1st of 2019. Uh, You can find me on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, pretty much anywhere you go, I am there. And I just share my journey of addiction to recovery, what it took for me to get clean and what I went through when I was in my addiction, such as losing my children, mental health struggles, marital struggles, infidelity, the things that we do when we are out there in our addiction to continue to use That's what I share about on social media, very raw and authentic. And, you know, I just love sharing the hope because that's what got me into recovery is hearing hope from others. So I'm glad to be here to be having this conversation with you guys and to be sharing hope with some other people today. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Sonia. Um, Super excited to have you. And then last but not least is Tim. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. My name is Tim Westbrook, and I'm the CEO and founder of Camelback Recovery in Arizona. And my sobriety date is March 8th, 2011. My first, I don't know, five years of sobriety were uh, pretty rough. Separation, divorce, bankruptcy, my real estate license was revoked. I lost my business. I lost four homes. I was, I mean, I, I pretty much got beat down 
pretty bad. And in 2014, I started Camelback Recovery as just a sober living business. And um, for the next two and a half years, I was in school getting my master's. I was the house manager. I was doing admissions calls, doing all the business development. I was in school getting my master's. I was working at a treatment center 20 hours a week to get my uh, internship hours. And I was driving for Uber on the side to make enough money to pay my bills. So I was doing a lot and um, I was living paycheck to paycheck. And then some things happened and there was a guy that I connected with named Joe Polish. And he challenged me to open up two more homes in the next 90 days. That was June of 2016. Um, I was able to figure out how to open up two more homes. By the end of 2016, I had three homes. By the end of 2017, I had six homes and I had a real business. And then uh, started offering treatment, outpatient treatment in 2022. We also have an integrated health and wellness center. And we recently opened up a residential treatment center. So mental health and addiction, that's kind of, uh, those are the the services that we provide, we have the full continuum of care. I also have a YouTube channel, TikTok, Instagram, all all the social media. You know, I'm I'm so grateful that I get to work in a business of helping other people because I think as we all know, by sharing my story and by helping others, that's how I get to happiness and fulfillment, which is really the goal of of everything. It, that's the goal of living life is to be happy and fulfilled. So thanks so much for having me here. Uh, I appreciate it. And whatever I can do to add to this conversation and make a contribution, that's why I'm here. It's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know from following Sonia and Benjamin that that they've had really similar stories. You guys have all three just like climbed out of the ashes and are doing so much for the recovery community. It is just absolutely inspiring. So thank you all so much for being here. Um, one of the biggest underlying causes of addiction is shame. And I think shame is one huge reason more people don't seek help or treatment and they suffer in silence instead. All of us here recover out loud, which means at least to some extent, we've learned how to move through our shame so we can start loving ourselves and embracing our flaws. So what does that look like for you? How did shame affect you in your addiction and what did it take to overcome it? And what role does shame play in your life now? The floor is yours. All right. So I would just start out by saying, like, what role did it play in my life from the very beginning? Right. Like all of my trauma brought shame into my life. And so I was sexually abused when I was younger then I was in an abusive relationship. And then I, um, you know, went through some losses. I lost a child and I lost the father of the child. And so back then in my life, all of those things that happened, I took on, right? Like it was somehow my fault that these things happened. And I carried around a lot of shame. And the shame and guilt is what led me really deep into addiction. Because when I picked up the first time, it took that away. Like that feeling was gone. And so I felt like I found the cure, so to speak, for those empty and horrible feelings that I had inside. And so what happened, though, is that as I continued to use, and I'm sure our stories are similar in this way, as we continue to use, we bring more shame into our lives by the things that we're doing, right? And because I didn't have the knowledge about addiction, I didn't understand addiction, I thought 
that I was a bad person because I couldn't stop using. And that just continued through my life, bringing more shame, more trauma, and just perpetuating that cycle. So before I got clean and sober, it was, um, my life was, I I was the selfish, self-centered, it's all about Tim. My ex-wife made up a song about me. It's Monday and it's all about Tim. It's Tuesday and it's all about Tim. Wednesday, everyone would laugh their asses off because it was true. Selfish, self-centered, it's all about Tim. Lying, cheating, stealing. I mean, I was I was terrible. I mean, it was all about me. I was a taker and there was so much guilt and shame associated with my terrible behavior that I had to I had to do something to feel better. And the feeling better was through sex, drugs, and and alcohol. And that's kind of, um, so the the soothing, feeling better, and all of my bad behavior continued to perpetuate my my guilt and my shame, and then I need to drink, or I need to drug, or I need to do some other terrible behavior to feel better for for a minute, and then and then the cycle, the cycle continues. So today I feel good about the man I am. I feel good about my behavior and just doing the next right thing is, is so important because I know I have to do the next right thing. There was uh, an interview I watched um, RFK Jr. Um, in, at, at an interview at an event I went to last week and he talked about just that addicts have to lie. Like we have to lie. As an addict, you lie. You have to lie. And he talked about rigorous honesty and how important it is and if he catches himself in a lie, he'll stop right then and right there and correct himself. And you do that if you, he even told a story about how he was in a courtroom because he was an attorney. He was in a courtroom and he told a lie. I don't remember what the lie was. And he stopped everybody. He said, hold on. You know, judge, actually, I, I just told a lie. And everybody in the in the courtroom was like, what's, what's happening here? But that's just, um, I think we can all agree that we have to, I have to be honest, rigorous honesty. I have to be honest. And if I'm not honest, that's going to lead to the guilt and the shame. And even if it's a, if it's a small, tiny white lie, like, you know, oh my gosh, I was in line at the grocery store for 20 minutes. It's like, eh, it wasn't 20 minutes. It was really like five minutes. So that's an exaggeration. And that's like a crack in the Hoover dam, right? A, A crack leads to the dam completely opening up and that's this as as an alcoholic as an, a drug addict in recovery i gotta live my life super clean because i want to feel good i want to feel good about my behavior i gotta do the next right thing and if i catch myself with a lie or with anything you know it's like for example i cheated on every woman i was ever with until i got sober and that's just that's who I was. And today I haven't I have not cheated since I've been clean and sober because I know that that would lead me lead me down the wrong path. And I'm I'm one of the the few that I, I got sober one time. I'm still sober, and um, you know one day at a time. But I, I'm still here. And if I continue doing the next right thing and being honest, then I know I got a chance. Honesty is huge, right? For me, 
I, I was like you. I lied all the time. It feels like, you know, looking back, it feels like every word that came out of my mouth was a lie or an exaggeration or like omission, right? I would just leave out the bad stuff. So I had a relatively great childhood. Uh, you know, on paper, it was really good, but I came away with that not good enough belief about myself from, you know, from God. Like I remember being eight years old and thinking that. And so, that's shame, right? We all know that that not good enough feeling is shame. And I dealt with that with perfectionism. So I just tried harder and harder and harder to be perfect and leave out anything that wasn't perfect and never let anybody see anything that wasn't perfect. So then, and I'm drinking to hide all of the other, the mess of feelings that I'm not letting anybody see. And that turns into an addiction. And I, of course, you don't expect it until you start, you try to stop and then you realize that you're actually addicted. Um, and so I had like, uh, like Sonia was talking about the, the cycle, right? I was trying and trying to be perfect. I had everybody in my life believing it was so perfect. And I was drinking myself to sleep every morning and drinking so that I could function at eight o'clock in the morning. And that shame, you're just, you're drinking to cover the shame, right? Of the drinking. And it's just, it's a never ending cycle. And to speak on what Tim said, once I got honest and started talking about not just the drinking, but all of the imperfection that I was hiding for so long, all of the things, you know, once I got honest and I started really talking about all of those things, it's like this massive weight is lifted and we always lie. I, I think for me, every lie was just to avoid ever feeling shame. Mm -hmm. Once I decided it was okay to just tell the truth about things and, and like maybe you do sh feel shame for a minute, but as soon as you shine a light on the shame, it starts going away. It was like this big, huge understanding, honesty, vulnerability, all of that stuff we talk about on here all the time really is like the key to overcoming the shame. I agree with that. That really resonates uh, because for me, it's all about, I don't have to lie about my past lies. I don't have to be ashamed of my shame and I don't have to be guilty about my guilt. And that's what held me back. It wasn't just that I was lying. It's that I told people I wasn't a liar. It wasn't just that I was ashamed. It's that I told people I don't have anything to be ashamed about. And it's not just what I was guilty about when I did an act of addiction. It's that I had this facade where I was not able to confront that guilt. And so in recovery, what I've had to do is live with it walk through it because an act of addiction that drug that drink thought it was going to take me away from it but that in itself as everybody else is saying perpetuates it and i had to embrace the fact that i didn't have to be ashamed of my shame or guilty about my guilt i had to confront it and run towards the things that i had been running away from with the external solution some people have said that the moment they get sober the shame and guilt evaporates, and that's beautiful. That's absolutely amazing. But um, what I would say about that is that's awesome. That's not what happened for me. It wasn't a sky-opening moment. It was little trickles of truth that added up to a greater vision. And everybody's different. And it's the same thing with recovery. Some people say they were in rehab, and it just hit them. Or they were out drinking, and it just hit them, and it's all over. And they became sober that day, and that's amazing. But for me, it was slow and steady demoralization until it got to the point where I realized it was going to be harder to keep using than to recover. And so what I would encourage anybody, whether in active addiction or early recovery, 
is if they're having a hard time getting rid of all their shame or their guilt, or they're having a hard time getting rid of the lingering character defects, I would say that for me, trying to just instantly rid myself of them, even though that is the eventual goal, but nobody's perfect, I confronted the fact that they were there and I was open about it. I told people about my lies, like that RFK story Tim told earlier. In the courtroom, that's an incredible example. Told people about my guilt, told people about my shame, and that allowed me to move forward because they were no longer holding that metaphoric anvil over my head. I wasn't scared of it. I could talk about it openly and not be guilty or ashamed or lie about my guilt, shame, or lies anymore. It feels, when you're carrying that guilt and that shame, it feels like you have the chains with the metaphoric anvils around your legs and it's like slogging through mud and slogging through molasses in winter. Every movement is just hard and every lie carries another lie. And then one of the things I say was the lie was just too big to carry anymore. It just became too freaking heavy. And when I got called out on one of it, I could have created another one to save myself the trouble of facing my own truth or I could have just admitted it. And instead of throwing a friend under the bus because that's what it was going to that's what it was coming down to was throwing a friend under the bus or just admitting that yeah, I had a problem. I didn't want to throw my friend under the bus. So I chose to that's where I first started facing my shame and then we're all talking about telling the truth and for the longest time because lying became a habit to hide the shame because when I was younger I was made fun of I was teased there was all of these things so to avoid that I lied and to exaggerate things was to justify my own importance so I could feel some sense of, I don't know, self-righteousness or, or, or value to get attention. And so to turn around and change a habit that's, that was developed over the course, like just as much as getting over this has been a trickle, getting there has been the same trickle. And to change that habit to telling the truth and and, and facing the fear of, okay, I'm going to actually tell the truth here. And this shit is, it feels like it's going to hurt because telling the truth really never did me any good. It never felt like it did me any good. Maybe I was telling it to the wrong people, but as soon as I found the right people to tell the truth to, that shame just started talk about living a life never be, feeling like you haven't been seen in god awful how long and then telling your truth and it's like i see you i can meet you where you're at i've been there i've been in that hole you're like excuse me what there is a light at the end of this tunnel oh there sure is damn as much as it i remember telling the truth for the very first time and it hurt like it physically hurt but at the same time, there was this weird relief. Like the chain started getting loosened off around my ankles. And that metaphoric anvil Ben was talking about starts to float away. It seems freaking impossible. It's 
at least it seemed impossible for me. The truth was going to set me free. No way. It's what no, nobody wants to hear my truth. <laughs> it's actually the complete opposite. I think that for me, a lot of like, you, like you were talking about telling the right people. So a lot of the things that I was carrying around were like, I wrecked my car when I was drunk. That was absolutely my rock bottom. I totaled an, a, a beautiful brand new forerunner. And there was so much shame in that. And I didn't want to tell anybody that story. I didn't want to talk about it. I was hiding my drinking. Like I would, you know, keep bottles of whiskey stashed in the closet so that I could be like, oh, I'm going to go put away these clothes. And then I would, you know, take a few swigs off of the bottle. I didn't think anybody else ever did that. I thought that was only me that was hiding it that way. I drove drunk, like not often, but I remember the few times that I did. And there was so much shame in all of that. I didn't ever want to tell anybody what I had done. And I remember when I finally showed up at the right place with the right people and I started telling my story. I wrecked my car. Somebody else was like, yeah, me too. Or I'd be like, you know, I screamed at my kids and somebody else is like, yeah, me too. And hearing that me too lets you know you're not alone and it starts lifting that shame. It's because of conversations like that that I can show up here and be like, yeah, I wrecked my car. It sucks. Like, I'm not proud of it. But I'm also not hiding from that and and drowning in that shame anymore either. So the Me Too is really powerful. Yeah, I think it ta- it takes a level of courage to to start telling the truth. And I've learned to have you know life is easy if you live it the hard way and hard if you live it the easy way. And just having those hard conversations, telling the truth is hard. And uh, Steve, as you said, it it was painful to tell the truth and. I uh, I have a, a a past sponsee that just went to rehab this morning, and he we did an intervention on him last week, and um, he went in. We brought him to a meeting, and he admitted, you know, he has a sobriety date. And then um, yesterday or two days ago, his girlfriend said that he basically he got caught drinking again, and so he wasn't going to go to treatment because they didn't have a bed available, and so. He's still, and I asked him this morning because he's going to, I said, hey, what's your, what's your sobriety date? I mean, because I know um, it, you got to know what your last drink, when your last drink was. And if you don't know your last drink, you probably haven't had your last drink. And, and he's still sticking to last week as his sobriety date. It's like, he doesn't know that we all talk. It's like, we all know, we all know, like, we all know that you're lying. And he's just, it's just the lies. It's like, man, I'm just glad you're going to treatment because because maybe maybe you got a chance. But that's just the story of like as an addict, if you're in your addiction, like, and I don't know what comes first. Is it the the sobriety? Is it the having the courage to tell the truth? You come cl- clean, you hit your bottom. I don't know. They kind of work simultaneously, uh, you know, in tandem. Like you got to tell the truth, and then you stay sober. Stay sober. You can tell the truth. I mean, every lie I tell someone else is a lie that I tell myself. Yeah, and I definitely think that sobriety starts with honesty and to what extent I'm able to be honest in the very beginning is a whole other story too. I remember one of the biggest things for me is that I lost my kids when I was in my addiction and the level of shame that comes with having your children removed from you is 
unbearable. And everybody around you, when that happens, is kind of like against you because you did like the really, really bad thing, you know? And so for me, I wasn't really able to just move through that shame by being honest about it. It took a lot more than that. And even to this very day, here we are almost five years later, they've been home with me for almost four years now. I still have pieces of that that I am working on, right? Like not parenting in guilt, uh, not being remorseful and regretting the past. I mean, I do regret the past, but I can't change the past, you know, but, you know, like you guys were saying, though, my healing journey on that started with me being honest with somebody else, somebody safe, somebody who had been through my experiences before that could give me the me too. And not only just somebody to be honest with, but somebody that said to me, you know what, we're going to do this together. I'm going to walk by your side and I'm going to show you the process that I went through, my experience, and I'm going to hold your hand while you figure this out. You know, I think that's a really important piece of it, too. Like you have to find that person that you're willing to be completely honest to. Like even if it's just like one person that you tell the really bad stuff, right? Because I thought I was unique too. I didn't think anybody did the kind of stuff that I did. Come to find out there's like a whole lot of people <laughs> that did the kind of stuff that I did. But even if it just starts with that one safe person that you can be honest with, that's going to say, you know what? Like, you're not a bad person. You did that stuff because you were messed up on drugs or on alcohol or whatever. We all do messed up stuff when we're on drugs. But I'm going to teach you how to be the kind of person that you want to be. And then they walk alongside of you to get through that process. I think that's a really important part of it, too, because for me, some of this stuff doesn't just go away. Like I've had to put a lot of work into not living in that shame anymore. And even today, like there's still things that show up today, like perfectionism, like you were talking about before. I still struggle with that today. I still try to be perfect to compensate, overcompensate for the areas of my life that I've messed up previously. Yeah, I almost I, sometimes I, I like to say I think recovering from perfectionism is almost harder in some ways than recovering from substance abuse because it sneaks into my life all the time. I've got to be like constantly aware of that one, and and falling into perfectionism means I'm one step closer to going the wrong direction with addiction. That resonates very strongly with me. And I think that the perfectionism can shift in terms of what that means, just as cross addictions can occur and just as mental health issues can manifest in different ways. The one thing that I wish somebody had told me is that when I used to go to school assemblies during the whole late stage just say no era when that was the predominant rhetoric in uh, the uh, prevention education. It was a different time. And in those days, they would say something which is true if you are an addict, which is if you drink or use once, it could lead you down a path of addiction. And some of the things that they said were hyperbolic and more true now in the, uh, sadly, in the fentanyl epidemic age than they were back then. But that is true for me. I take one drink, I take another drink, and the drink takes me. But what I wish I had known in early recovery, when I was going in and out of treatment, trying to hold myself to standards of perfection. And 
basically excusing myself to relapse because of the guilt that I would feel from being imperfect. I would hold myself to lofty standards that are great in long-term or later recovery to aspire to and great to practice to the best of our ability, but I would show up late to meet with someone in a recovery group or I would fall short of a commitment in some way. And that shame I would get from telling a white lie or something that had nothing to do with my addiction, but everything to do with me not knowing how to live the right life, I would discount everything else that I did. And I would use that shame that it came from me not being perfect as I was rebuilding my life to justify making my life even worse. And what I wish someone had said in the same way they told me in those prevention classes, one drug can lead to a life of addiction. I wish someone had told me that one truth, that one good action could lead to a life of good action. I wish someone had told me that those little baby steps, I didn't get addicted all at once. Yes, the ball got rolling, but it didn't roll into the massive boulder that consumed my whole life overnight. That took a series of events and a series of escalations. And the thing with recovery is that it's not rolling down a hill, it's pushing up a hill. I have to take the incentive every day to push that metaphoric ball up the hill and gather more strength. But as opposed to an act of addiction, when one lie or one use of a substance that I see as a false external solution, without me doing anything, just pushing it down the hill and having it consume me when I wasn't in control in recovery, I am in control of gaining the strength and instituting the new policies and behaviors necessary to spur that growth. But I would just insist for somebody who is in early recovery, who may not necessarily slip with a relapse or a return to use, but compromises their principles, has a tough day, argues with their partner or spouse or a family member, treats someone resentfully. Don't let that. I, I'll speak for me. I could not let the guilt from that minor infraction and betrayal of my principles push me back to drinking and using. I had to understand that I deserved to focus on the good and know that even if I wasn't perfect, I still deserved to keep moving forward and building a better life one day at a time. I'm, I'm listening to a book right now, audio book called The Power. And, um, and and ben, Benjamin, what you're talking about is, um, you know, one truth leads to another truth. One lie leads to another lie. And putting kindness out of the world leads to more kindness. And and just like whatever, um, you know, whatever you put out in the world just comes back to you. That's my experience. If I'm, if I'm thinking abundance, if I'm putting abundance out into the world, I'm getting abundance back. If I'm making a contribution, that's kind of the way that I've learned to live is, making a contribution, bringing value into this world, into every single relationship, every single re interaction. If I'm bringing value to the world, then I'm going to get, I'm going to get things. I'm going to get it back. You, you must give it to, you must give it away to, to receive it. And I found that to be true in anything. And with sobriety, I'm, I'm doing the best I can to be a good example. And that's my contribution. And whether I'm be, whether I'm an example by doing the next right thing, living an honest life, going to meetings, sponsoring guys, being of service, exercising, getting enough sleep, going and doing cold plunges, like all the things I do, all the, all the things I do, like those, those things 
that's what I'm putting out into the world and that's what I get back. And that's one of the most beautiful things about sobriety is just the way my behavior and the way that I've lived and being an example and making a contribution, it all comes back to me and you attract what you are. So I attract the people that I want to be around into my life. Just one of the gifts. I think a lot of addicts tend to be guilty of black or white thinking. That's something that my therapist calls me out on maybe every single session is I'm very all or nothing. I'm very black or white. In in my mind, I'm not good at living in the gray area. So, you know, with the perfectionism and the shame and all of that, if I fail one little thing, that doesn't mean I'm a failure, right? That means one thing went wrong. But overall, I'm still pretty successful in, in the things that I want to do in my life. If I, you know, if, if the day is part bad, if, if one bad thing happens, then I'm like, well, fuck it, the whole day is gone. Like, it's just, you know, a loss. And we tend to do that. But we tend to do that with shame, too. If we do one thing that we're ashamed of, we want to take that whole thing on and be like, I am a bad person. I destroyed this entire relationship because I got into this, you know, I started this one fight with my husband or whatever it is. And I think that you know, because we tend, a lot of us tend toward shame, we take the one little thing and we turn it into this big, huge black cloud that covers this massive part of our lives. And then we drown ourselves in the shame. And I think learning how to live in the gray area that is life, like like life is the gray area, right? It's never all good. It's never all bad. It's never all right. It's never all wrong. It's in the middle. And I think when we can start figuring out how to do that, life just gets a little bit easier to cope with and we stop dumping all the shame on top of ourselves. No, I, I agree with that. And I was just thinking, you know, when I first got sober, it was either I was really, really happy or really, really sad or really, really scared or really embarrassed or whatever that feeling was. I felt everything at an extreme level and there was no like the gray area, right? Like it's I'm a little bit of this and I'm a little bit of that. And both of these things can exist at the same time. But one of the things that I did was anytime that I made a mistake, like I would beat myself up so bad for every single mistake that I made. And and I think a lot of people do that in early recovery. And then you get in your mind, well, fuck it. You know, why am I even doing this? I'm never going to be anything anyways. And I still have that voice that says that to me sometimes, you know, but I've learned and I like what you just said, like I've learned how to accept myself for where I am right now, especially when I'm having a bad day, especially then I allow myself to have a bad day. It's okay if I don't feel good today. If the only thing that I do right today is not put a drink or a drug in my body, then it has still been a successful day. And some days like that's the best that I can do. But, you know, I just was thinking about like shame and the solution, right, for shame. And I don't know about you guys, but I suspect that you guys can relate to this a lot just from listening to what you shared and what I know about you guys. For me, giving back like you were talking about a minute ago, Tim, like giving back to somebody else has helped my shame more than anything else. They say the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in service to others. And through sharing my story or lending an ear or, you know, just being a supportive friend or, you know, doing something to get outside of myself. Every time that I do that, it's like putting a little block 
in the pile of of recovery, whatever, you know, like we were talking about a few minutes ago, but it just adds a little bit of healing for me every single time that I do it. And I really think that that's the solution for the shame. Like we get outside of ourselves and we use the shame to help somebody else and to let them know that they're not alone. Like somebody let us know that we weren't alone when we were going through our process. When did we ever give ourselves a chance to see the good or the reflection of ourselves in someone else? That's what I'm hearing you talk about right now. It's and and then you see this reflection of yourself, and and it may be a flaw, and it may be an imperfection, or it may be something else. And here you are, sharing a life and sharing a story where you both are doing the me too, and 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 you're both not alone, and you just found another piece of your own little puzzle that you get to heal while you're working with someone else or someone else is working with you to heal heal that piece and lift that shame. I still dig up like you're talking about, still dig up parts that I forgot about, I've buried, I've left alone, I don't want to touch. And all of those opportunities are another spot to to put that puzzle back together and really find who I am. The more shame I lift, the more I learn about myself. I just love that quote because it's lifting shame because shame is a burden or it can be. And my dad used to tell me that responsibility was something that I had to learn how to carry when I was struggling in active addiction. And one of the things I was most ashamed of was how I let him down because he was a very disciplined guy. He was addicted to work, but he was never addicted to beer, cannabis, even tried hard drugs in the, in the sixties and his hippie days. They never ensnared him. Wasn't his thing. And so he's been supportive of me in recovery, but he never understood what I was going through and still doesn't quite understand the concepts of surrender acceptance and how they relate to my mode of recovery or anything like that. But that's for another day. But the point is, when he would talk about responsibility, both in terms of self-actualization in a professional sense, in a personal sense, and in terms of getting sober and managing my mental health and my self-efficacy and executive function, what I pictured was that the weight of responsibility, both in taking care of myself, my mental health, and making sure that I met my commitments, was like a chain and cufflink around my leg attached to a thousand pound dead weight that I was lugging around and it wasn't doing anything for me. It was a trap. It was something that held me back. But what I came to understand in recovery is that if I took on that same weight of having to confront my issues and power through them and accept that responsibility, not only to be a productive member of society in recovery, but to face my weighty, in the metaphoric sense, mental health challenges, the shame, the guilt, the fear, and all that, it was more like I was going to a spiritual or mental or emotional gym. The weight became something that strengthened me. It was like Atlas holding the globe, but pushing it off myself at the same time. And after the weight of shame was lifted off me by the effort that I put in, the strength that I gained through pushing that weight upward gave me the strength to build something, not just eradicate shame or guilt, but apply those same principles towards building a better life. And that to me is one of the most beautiful things about recovery. The challenge of cleansing self 
understanding guilt and shame and making peace with it doesn't just take those burdens away. It in itself and the lessons that we learn, at least for me, gives me the strength and the knowledge that I need to cope with the everyday problems and challenges that arise from living life in recovery. So for me, confronting my guilt and shame and fear wasn't just an exercise and getting through it for the sake of it not weighing me back anymore. The actual process of doing it gave me the strength to build a better life free of that and embrace the goodness on the other side. Because if I didn't have that strength, I would be so focused on the negative that I wouldn't be able to do the work necessary to maintain recovery in a better life. I feel like anyone in this place underestimates themselves so, so much because the amount of effort I put into making sure I could maintain my addiction was incredible. And the moment I realized that if I could put that much effort into maintaining my addiction and getting another drink and lying and and even carrying around the, the, the immense amount of shame every day and pulling that weight, everyone has that same amount of energy that they can turn around and, 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 and do the good. And instead of using the shame, I'm going to wrap this up. Instead of using that shame, like we used to relieve ourselves from feeling that shame because it was an instant, okay, I don't have to feel this way anymore. We used lies to not feel ashamed. It became a habit, not good enough in perfectionism, all ways that we were used that, you know, not good enough is shame. Perfection is just trying to hide it and not face it. Honesty, telling the truth, being vulnerable. Some of the ways that you all shared about getting over shame and overcoming shame, living with it. And I, I feel like shame, when we talk about shame, it is, it feels like this weight. It's an anchor. It's, it's a, it's, it really does just hold us back. And it's really as, as easy, as hard as it is to overcome it. Once you start seeing that trickle, that light, Sonia, when you talked about honesty and, and the level where it shows up, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be one light bulb moment. It could be a whole bunch of little ones. And I think, you know, sharing your life experiences with someone that you can trust and get that me too, because we aren't alone in this. We've all been through it. We've all been through it. So I want to say thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, Benjamin, for joining us tonight. Tonight. Today. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your, sharing your experiences and your time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm grateful that I got to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. To our listeners, as always, we want to thank you for taking the time to listen today, and we hope that this episode has shed some light on your path of recovery. If you found it helpful, please take a few minutes to rate and review through the Glass Recovery Podcast on whatever platform you listen from. It's a great way to let us know you appreciate what we're doing. <laughs>